everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wake Up and Grow. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas and New Year's, whether you spent that with your family, your friends, and I really hope that you took that opportunity to show others who Jesus is by implementing the things we talked about in the episode prior to the two, three weeks that we didn't have episodes. But with that out of the way, I'm about to give you a new episode. And the scripture that I want to focus on today is actually in Exodus. If you want to grab your Bible, whether it's paper, digital, whatever you got. Um, And then go ahead, turn to Exodus chapter 4. And I will be focusing this episode around verse 20. So Exodus 4 verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. That was out of the NLT. I'm going to be hopping between the NLT and ESV versions of the Bible today. So if it sounds different from your Bible, do not fret. All is well. It's just a different version that I happen to be using. But if you follow the podcast on social media, which if you don't, Instagram is the name is Wug Podcast W U G the word podcast. Facebook is just Wake Up and Grow Podcast. Anyway, but if you follow the podcast on social media, you may remember that a couple of days ago we posted a PSA about an upcoming episode circling around the topic of missions. Today I wanted to do an episode that's kind of a precursor to that upcoming episode. And I wanted to cover the topic of our individual places or roles in God's kingdom here on earth. Because I think it will apply well to the episode that's coming up in this month. Since the New Year's has come around, it is now 2024. I can't tell you how many times I've written 23 on papers in which I date. But many Christians have probably made this New Year's resolution. I want God to use me to lead people to Jesus this year. First and foremost, that's an amazing New Year's resolution to have. Congratulations. I'm so glad that you're willing to be used by God this year. Insert applause. Secondly, after you made that resolution, you probably had this thought. Can God use me? Or, same question, different emphasis, can God use me? Other questions may have followed. Can God use me with all of my flaws? Can God use me with all of my issues? Can he use my talents and skills? 
can he use me here? And this list of questions could go on for eternity. <laughs> In response to that, to those multiple questions, I present to you Moses. This past week, I have been a part of a Bible reading challenge in which we read the Bible in its entirety within 30 days. I have had headaches multiple nights, getting off of my 9 to 5, and then crunching in 2 to 3 hours worth of reading. However, it has reminded me the things I've been reading, which we are now in end of Judges going into 1 Samuel. That section is what we're at today as of this recording. It has reminded me of the many things that happened in Exodus. In reading through Exodus again, stumbled across the verse I just read to you at the top of the episode. That That's really what inspired this episode today. In presenting you with Moses, there are a few things about Moses and how God used him that are similarly true for the Christian who wants to be used by God and is suddenly doubting their abilities, their usefulness, uh, their gifts, talents, suddenly doubting. So I, I just want to bring up those things to you. The first one being, Moses was set apart at birth. If you will turn to Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 15 all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. But Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Continuing on to chapter 2. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of piperous reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance and watched to see if anything would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked alongside the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. 
The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will help. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she exclaimed, for she explained, I have lifted him out of the water. Moses should, according to what was going on in Egypt at the time, he should have died along with the other Hebrew, Hebrew baby boys. But he didn't. Why is that? Simply because God had plans for him. God preserved him so that Moses could fulfill those plans. And the same is for you. God has set you apart to do his will and work here on earth. You were set apart before your birth. You are no accident or mishap. You will turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, and this one I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Like I said, I'm going to be using multiple versions today, but Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through six. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. From before you were born, before your little lungs breathed their first breath of air, before you were ever conceived, before you were a thought in your parents' minds, God set you apart to do his work. There is no person on earth that does not have a purpose under God's will. There is no living being on earth that does not have purpose. So the question of would God ever use me is null. He created you to be used by him for his kingdom. That is your purpose. This then goes into my second point, one of the second one of the things that we have in common with Moses. Moses screwed up. Yet God still used him. Going back to Exodus, chapter 2, picking up where, where he left off in verse 11. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and saw how hard they were being forced to work. During this visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. 
After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Moses committed murder. Although, thinking back to my criminal justice classes, I think it would technically be considered voluntary manslaughter, but I digress. Moses, we also know, had issues with speaking. This is in Exodus 4, verse 10. He tells this to God himself. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been, and I am not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. So Moses murdered somebody and he has issues talking. Whether that's he had like a lisp, a speech impediment, whatever, you know, we don't know exactly. But despite those things, God still chose to use Moses to lead the Israelites away and out of their slavery in Egypt. And Moses isn't the only example of quote-unquote unworthy people that God used throughout the Bible. Paul the Apostle was a murderer of Christians, a biblical time serial killer. Elijah the prophet suffered from depression and was suicidal. Jonah was actively trying to disobey God. He was actively trying to condemn the Ninevites to the death that is reserved for those who disobey God. Rahab was a prostitute. King David cheated on his, albeit many, wives. He was an adulterer. Mary Magdalene was possessed by demons and evil spirits. Matthew, one of the disciples, he betrayed and cheated his people out of their money by becoming a tax collector for the Roman Empire. Judas, another one of the disciples, betrays Jesus himself. Aaron, Moses' brother, led the Israelites into worshipping an idol he crafted with his own hands, the golden calf. Mary, Jesus' mom, was very poor. And Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. He deceived his brother Esau out of both his birthright and a blessing. And this, this list could go on, and I could be here for hours listing all of the people in the Bible that God used. But the overarching point is, God can use anybody he chooses to use, no matter what their sins or flaws are.
I think I should also point out that all of those people are previously mentioned were changed by their encounters with God. They abandoned their old selves to pursue the new mission that God had given them. And what set these people apart wasn't necessarily their lineage. Rahab wasn't an Israelite. She was from the town of Jericho. So it wasn't just their lineage. What set these people apart was the fact that they were willing to do God's will. Albeit in Moses' case, a little begrudging, begrudgingly, but that was simply because he doubted himself. As I think just about everybody does. But they were willing to do God's work. God has never, in all of history, called the qualified and able to do his work. He calls those who are willing and qualifies and enables them to do his work. Which brings me to point three. God used what Moses had with him. Staying in chapter 4 of Exodus and looking at verses 1 through 7 and then separately verse 20. But Moses protested again. This is, he's talking to the Lord. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then God asks him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff. Moses replied, Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses, so Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was as white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. Skipping down to verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on the donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. We know from looking at the entirety of the book of Exodus that Moses was a man of few possessions after he fled from Egypt. He had some flocks, which really belonged to his father-in-law. He had the clothes on his body, sandals on his feet, and the staff in his hand. That's really about it. But God still used them to do his work. We see later in Exodus that God used the raising of Moses' staff to enact the plagues on Egypt, 
the parting of the Red Sea, and then later the defeat of armies that came against Egypt or came against the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. There was nothing magical or special about that staff. The staff itself didn't perform those miracles. God did. God used that staff simply because the staff was what Moses brought to the table. The staff was what Moses had to use. Moses didn't need to gain any other possessions, any other skills. The only thing he needed to gain to be used by God was more of God himself. The same goes for you. You don't have to become or gain XYZ for God to use you. No amount of riches, no amount of fame, and no amount of possessions will prepare you to be used by God. He will use whatever you can bring to the table and whatever you surrender to him. The only thing you absolutely have to gain is more of him continually in order for him to use you. Whatever talents, passions, uh, desires, dreams, fears, weaknesses, etc. Whatever you have, bring it to the Lord. And he will use it for the goodness of his kingdom. He is not limited by what limits us. And this is... This is the scandalous beauty of the Holy Spirit inhabiting us. This is the beauty of God's work in and through us. Whatever we present to God for his use no longer belongs to us. It belongs to him. And that's, that's what jumped out at me when I was reading through Exodus and I stumbled upon verse 20 in chapter 4. Let me read <laughs> Let me read it again for you. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. That staff was the same staff he held when he first encountered God at the burning bush. Same exact piece of wood, same exact piece. He probably had his name carved on it or something. Same exact piece of wood that he used every day. That staff was originally called Moses' staff. And now it's being called the Lord's Staff, the Staff of God in the NLT. It changed possession because God was using it to bring about plagues on Egypt. As I mentioned before, my brain latches on to 
the small details and that was a small detail that in my head was like highlighted had police lights surrounding it it was like wait a minute this is no longer Moses's staff this is God's staff because God is using it when we allow God to use us and our our things they lose their flaws because they are no longer ours they change possession and God now owns them because we have given them to him first of all because we have allowed him to use them they are now his and because and he said be holy as I am holy these things that are now given to him to use become holy because he is the one that is using them In addition to that, I kind of want to jump over to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 12. I actually think I want to read the ESV for this one. So pardon me as I switch Bibles. But 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. Because I think this applies to us doubting the ta- specifically the talents and the gifts and skills that we have, not just you know, our physical possessions. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute gods, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all, do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This then leads me to the fourth thing. God brought the work that he started with Moses to completion. So after the plagues, after the Red Sea... The Israelites were brought out of Egypt, out of their slavery by God through Moses, and were to be led to a land that was rich and plentiful, we know it as the land of milk and honey, for them to start over again in. They don't reach this land until the book of Joshua. That's four books and 40 years later after they started their exodus from Egypt. And by that time, Moses is dead. So, no matter how long it takes, God will bring the work to completion. No matter what obstacles are faced, God will bring the work to completion. No matter what rivers have to be crossed, God will bring the work to completion. No matter what enemies attack, God will bring that work to completion. God is not in the business of breaking his promises or abandoning his people. Even after the death of Moses, God used Joshua to bring the Israelites into that land. He will bring whatever task he has given you to completion. Whether that means the end includes you or not. Whether that means you're a part of the plan, which we all are all a part, just a single portion of a large plan. But whether you see the end of that or not, it will be completed. Philippians 1-6. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Philippians 1-6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
if it is his will, if he willed it, it will be done. So, this year, as you seek to be used by God to bring others to Jesus, understand that God has called you to bring his kingdom to earth to those around you. That's why you're here. Do not doubt your abilities, talents, or strength. He will use whatever it is you bring to the table to complete that work. He will use whatever you can bring, whatever you fully surrender to him, to bring others to Jesus. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. I want to thank you again for listening and remind you that Wake Up and Grow releases episodes bi-weekly. This is every other Monday. And I encourage you to go give Wake Up and Grow a follow on Instagram at WUG Podcast. That's spelled W-U-G Podcast. And go find Wake Up and Grow on Facebook. Again, I'm Natalie Bittinger, and this has been Wake Up and Grow.